Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Mark asked me if I would be preaching from an iPad. I said, no, I actually use a Bible. Uh, he couldn't believe that. I told him it was the classic original edition of the iPad, the way it should be. Uh, I don't. I, I, God challenged me a few years ago to get rid of notes because typically I had to finish them. And when I have notes, the t- 12 notes long, you're going to be there a while. So God challenged me a couple of years ago just to preach from His Word, to know His Word so well that He can just pour through me. So I'm trusting with you out of His Word. He will teach us many, many things. A couple of weeks ago, I just began to pray, God, what do you want to speak to your church here in Erie? What is the Word you want to deposit in this church? And this church is a fairly new church in the light of many others that have been around for years. Uh, there's a great heart and a vision and an excitement to be in this community. And last time I was out here, God showed me that this is a church that is going to bridge the gap between generations, bridge the gap between uh, racial groups, bridge the gap between uh, economic groups. This church is not put here just to gather a bunch of people on a Saturday so they can grow a church and build a name. This church is put here for a reason at this time to do the things God has in mind for this city. Amen? Amen? So with that, I felt God just bring us back to the foundation of our faith. So tonight, to give you a title, I'm not much on titles, but this will at least point you in the right direction. I believe God wants to establish and restore in us faith in the power of this Gospel and a faithfulness to it. Faith in the power of this Gospel and a faithfulness to it. You see, in the nation we live in and in the nations of the world, the Gospel is under a constant assault. Not necessarily to come right up against it because that would be too obvious. But as the devil works his schemes, he cleverly comes in time after time, decade after decade, and begins to erode away the foundations which God intended for His church to always have. And you see, for us, this Gospel is the salvation that God has given us. It is not found in people. It's not found in buildings. It's not found in ministries. It's not found in a, in a pastor. It's not found in anything or anyone at any time. It's found in nothing we can do, nothing we can earn. It is found only through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And to me, that's a freedom. We don't have to search for it, look for it, try and find it. He has laid it before us. But we do have to be cautious that we don't allow ourselves to become distracted from that which is of the greatest importance. As the church, this must be the message that is heard weekly, daily, through the building where people gather and through each of us on the streets. I noticed on your calendar, I think you have an outreach coming up this week. Is that right? The door-to-door. I just felt God say, well, the question for many would be, well, what do I say? You share the gospel. You don't need to be clever. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to have years of college degrees. And those things can be helpful. Paul was an incredibly astute man of study. But what he always went back to was the testimony of the Gospel touching his life and changing him and how in turn it could change the people around him. God wants to equip us with the most powerful force the earth has ever known. That's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, Romans 1. We start here in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, a sent one, and set apart for the Gospel of God. The Gospel He, God, promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son, who as to His human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Him and for His name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul has ministered into many churches at this point. Paul's life has been threatened many times. He's faced different things from being shipwrecked to being imprisoned to being beaten. But he finds himself continually pushed and excited about this gospel that God has called him to minister. And as we continue on in Paul's discourse with the Roman church, his introduction, as it were, he says to them, I want to come and have a harvest among you. I want to see people saved among you. And in verse 14, and he says, I am obligated. In Paul, there is a compulsion from within him. He's not obligated by some order that set him in and said, well, you're a pastor and you have to do these things. He is obligated that if no one else cared and no one else listened and no one else stood with him, he would be obligated, compelled by the very depth of his being and the reality of what Jesus has done in him to tell everyone he could everywhere about this gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. I am obligated to everyone I come across to share this gospel. He says, that's why this compulsion in me, this, this obligation that I feel weighing upon my heart is why I am eager, eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. He's preparing them, letting them know, I'm not coming to give you some religious order. I'm not coming to perpetuate anything that you have seen. I am so eager to bring to you this gospel that has been heard all over the, the known world at the time. And in verse 16, he picks up and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And he's speaking into a what we would call a pluralistic society. Much smaller than ours in the known world today. But what it means is there were many religions, many gods all around. And for many, I think at the time with the gospel beginning to spread, many were, were ashamed of their faith or ashamed of what they knew. But Paul comes in the midst of all of these other gods and all of these other beliefs to say, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now to me, every time I read that, it stirs me. And let me, as my wife would normally say, I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. My wife always tells me, smile. So please don't get nervous. Some of you are looking like you're pinned back to your chair. That's partially good. But you see, friends, God has given us the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not just some news. It's not some church thing. It's not some religious nicety. It is not just about this sweet old man in heaven who sent his sweet little son to save us sweet, not so sweet people. It is about God himself, the creator of the universe, who chose out of his incredible love and his incredible mercy and grace. To bestow His Son on this earth to die for all of us and to be raised again and to give us the very Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it alone has the power to save anyone who will believe. Anyone. I stand before you as one that spent coming up on almost as much time living for God as I did for myself. I grew up my dad left when I was about three and my mom and dad had been married many times each. My dad went off with a, another wife for that time. My mom moved us around here to there. When I was about seven, my mom got tired of being a mom. 
And she chose to put me in an apartment in New Jersey while she moved to New York. And so at seven years old, I found myself on my own trying to figure out why I was here. And many people ask, well, what do you do? Well, you either live or you die. And for me, by God's grace, I didn't realize it at the time, I lived. And I fought, and I was again bounced around from different houses, lived with grandparents, lived with different people. But I spent many, many years, especially of my youth, trying to figure out why I was here. Why do I exist? Why, why am I still here with parents that don't want me, no family that I can be with, no one to be around? Why? And I saw it. And I mean, I, I grew my hair long. I sold drugs. I rode motorcycles. I, I fought constantly. I became not just a fighter inside, but a physical fighter and, and pursued all the things that the body in this world had to offer. I had money. I had stuff. I had girlfriends. I had all of these things. And all I found myself every day waking up was feeling so dissatisfied. But feeling such regret and weight and condemnation for all the choices I had made. But I learned to harden myself on the inside so that I didn't bother to pay attention to it, but just kept going. And God chose by His grace to bring a man into my life who His father started the Hell's Angels. And he came to work for me at a gym I was running at the time. And he came in to work. He was applying for a job that paid six bucks an hour. And this guy's 42 years old. He had three kids and a wife. And I told him, I said, well, you realize what this job pays? And he says, yeah, I, I know. He said, I worked at Frito-Lay, a uh, potato chip company, and they were paying him some $50,000 a year. And he said, but God told me to leave that and come here. So needless to say, I was very curious that either this guy was legitimate or he was crazy but it would certainly be an interesting thing to watch so you know this guy he was he was rugged he had the scars on his face from knife wounds different things he had gone through uh, his situation he grew up and his dad Sonny again being the leader of the Hell's Angels used to beat him every day and he grew up saying no one can beat me as bad as my dad and he grew up and his job in the Hell's Angels was to kill people he was a hitman if you didn't pay he'd he'd hunt you down and his story was his wife and it, with the two kids they had at that time got tired of the drive-by shootings and all of these things happening and left him and said unless something changes you're never going to see me again and he in his drunken state pushed it off continued with his life for a few more days and found himself one day on the floor drunk drugged up with heavy metal music playing in the background with his gun in his hand and he said, God, if you're real, you better show me now. Put his gun in his mouth, ready to squeeze the trigger, and the station changed to a preacher preaching the gospel. He said he dropped the gun, he fell to the ground, and he wept, and he wept, and he wept. He felt demons leave him. He felt God heal him and break him and restore things in him he never thought could be done. And as he shared this testimony with me a few months into his working with me, I thought, God, no one, I always thought no one could have had it as bad as I did. And yet God sent him into my life to show me that God's redemption can reach anyone, anywhere, in any circumstance. Amen? And so for me, when I read Paul's proclamation, that this gospel is the power of God for the salvation of anyone. It means he can reach anyone, anywhere, including me. I never thought I could be forgiven. I never thought I could forgive myself. And yet God forgave me. And God healed me. And God taught me to forgive myself. 
My friends, we need to have a reassurance that this gospel is more than enough. We don't need to fluff it up. We don't need to fancy it up. As a, as a young church, you don't need to add anything to it or take anything away from it. You don't need to do it as so-and-so does down the street or try and do this or try and do that. or add. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ. People don't need fluff. They don't need religion. They don't need meetings. They need Jesus. They need His gospel, His truth. Because when you face life, you don't need niceties. You need the real thing. You see, my mom and my dad were both musicians in churches. Churches would hire them because they were professional musicians. It had nothing to do with their standing with God. And for me, it always confused me. I couldn't understand how my mom is back here and I'm singing in a choir in a church because I could sing. It had nothing to do with anything else. And I'd see the pastor. I remember one, he was back backstage. It did seem like a stage. Backstage screaming at his secretary and cussing and this whole thing. And then he goes out and does his bit. And to me, I thought, why waste my life pretending? I believe there's a God, but this church thing isn't showing me that God. My friends, we need to be those who keep our eyes focused on Him. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We must never be ashamed of this gospel. If these seats empty and if you leave this place because the gospel is preached here, Mark and Kara, you need to stand strong and steadfast in this truth. And if people fill other buildings because they've got the best band and the big name and the nice building and all this other stuff, but the gospel is not preached and his presence is not there, you are far better off, sadly, than that. And I do say that with sorrow because I don't want any to leave this earth apart from knowing Jesus Christ. But the truth remains, we cannot abandon that which God has given us for the sake of man's good ideas. That's what got us into the mess that Jesus came to rescue us from in the first place. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of who? Everyone. Who believes? I think we all know some everyone's. First for the Jew, beginning with the Jews, then to the Gentiles, starting with, with Jesus' people out into the, the known world. Because in the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. And what that means is a, a way to be in right standing before God has been revealed. God has shown a way through the Gospel for those of us who are absolutely messed up, screwed up, have made mistakes, every one of us, to be able to stand before an absolutely perfect, sin-free God as if we had never sinned. And what I love about Paul saying this, he says it's a righteousness, a way to stand rightly before God from God. It's not something that Paul created. It's not something that the church created. Many try and undermine the, the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, it was not given by men. It was not given by religion. It was not given by works and by trying. It was a righteousness from God Himself poured out upon mankind because we couldn't do it ourselves. And some of you will find yourself along this journey trying so hard to please God. Stop! It doesn't mean we don't serve Him. We give Him everything. But your, His pleasure over us is through Jesus Christ before we do a thing. Jesus, before He began any public ministry that we see scripturally, He went down to John the baptizer. 
He went down to the water and he was baptized. And as he came up out of the water, we remember that the Spirit of God appeared as a dove above him. But so often we skip that God spoke after that. What he said over Jesus, I believe, was absolutely pivotal for Jesus, the man, to be able to fulfill the calling he had on this earth. And we need to pay very clear attention to it because for us who walk this gospel out in our lives till he takes us home, it is an essential foundational truth. He said, this is my son. I lay claim to him. He's not just a man. He's not just somebody I sent. He's my son. You see, this gospel makes us sons and daughters of God. We're not not equal with Jesus. Don't get me wrong in that in the sense of He is always God. But through Jesus Christ, through this gospel, we stand as sons and daughters of God with Jesus. And so when we embark upon this incredible journey with God, we need to begin at understanding that you are called sons and daughters of Him. You can't earn it. It isn't given. You don't work your way in. You don't start out as as back row people. You instantly go to the front row before God Himself because of what Jesus has done. You begin the journey as a son or as a daughter of God. He lays claim to you. And that has to be foundational for us because otherwise you will spend your life striving to please the one that is unpleasable with what this body can put out. We could have pleased Him. Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. It is through Jesus Christ we find His pleasure over us. Don't let anyone or anything steal from you this incredible status given by God. It doesn't make you better than those outside. It is just you have come into your inheritance through Christ. He says, this is my Son whom I love. And we sang about it tonight. We've spoken of the love of God. Friends, you have God's love. It also cannot be earned. It also cannot be pushed away. It is a gift from Him. That even in your worst of states and even in your worst of decisions and your worst places where you feel like you're as far from Him as you've ever imagined, His love still remains just as strong for you as it always has. One thing I came to learn when God saved me is He loved me before I turned to Him. That blew my mind. While I was still a sinner, He loved me. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew the mistakes I would make, the choices, the things I would pursue. He knew the screw-up all of us would be. And He still came. And I believe as I read through who He is, God is, He would have come if not one turned to Him, just so that the chance would be there for us to do so. His love does not require of us anything but receiving it. This is my Son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything that we see. So what was God pleased with? He was pleased with Him. We need to find God's pleasure in us because we're His. Because from that place, there'll be no striving. There'll be no trying to impress Him. But just be living for Him with everything you have, knowing that you have His pleasure, even if you stumble along the way. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. What do we need to do? We need to believe. 
We need to believe in what God has said. We need to believe in this incredible gospel. We need to believe that Jesus came as the Son of Man, the Son of God on this earth. We need to believe that He he walked on this earth for somewhere around 32 years, filled with the Spirit of God, living out a life for us to follow in, discipling, impacting the world, turning the world upside down. We need to believe that that same Jesus, by His choice, took upon Himself the sin of mankind for all time. Every sin. The things we don't want to think about. The things that we would want someone to be put in an electric chair for. He took it all upon Himself. All upon the cross. And it wasn't ropes and it wasn't nails that held Him to the cross. It was His love for us. It was His willingness to sacrifice and pay the price we couldn't pay that held Him to that cross. We need to believe that He died upon that cross. And when He died, He took the sin of mankind with Him. Otherwise, He wouldn't have said, it is finished. It's done. We remember He cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lava sabachthani. He cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Because God Himself, Jesus upon that cross, for the first time in all of history, was separated from the Father. We cannot begin to imagine the agony He went through. Not physically, but spiritually for the price He paid. And we need to believe that three days later He rose from the dead. Because death does not have power over Him. Because He defeated sin and death in the grave. And we serve a risen Savior. And He stands at the right hand of God. And He defends us. He stands awaiting us. He stands sending His Spirit upon us. Friends, we need to believe that Jesus is who He says He is. And we need to allow Him to be absolutely Lord of our lives. Amen? This is going nowhere I planned it to. But that's all right. I have quoted three scriptures I have not read in a while. And that's all right. This is a righteousness by faith. Just as it is written in the book of Habakkuk, he was an Old Testament prophet. He said, the righteous will live by faith. You with me? Let's jump over and just unfold this a little longer. I won't be too long. Just another hour or so. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. There are so many scriptures that help to unfold what the gospel is. But I just felt led to this. I just believe for us it will help us have a deeper understanding of what God has done for mankind. Yes, He has done it for us. But friends, don't let the gospel become about me. That makes sense? Probably not. Some of you are looking at me kind of funny. He saved me, yes. And by that I have the promise of eternity with Him. I am filled with His Spirit. But I don't live here and now for me anymore. I can't. As Paul said, I'm obligated. I'm compelled. Everything in me says my life was given to him. And now it exists for others. We have to become a church that doesn't exist for itself, but exists for those that don't know him. These seats you sit in are not yours. Don't get too comfortable in them. Look forward to the day when there's not enough room and you got to get up and say, have my seat, please. And you got to stand out there and just thank God that this place is full. We have to change our mindsets. Is your seat uncomfortable? We'll get a comfortable one for the person that's going to take it from you. Because either you're going to get out of their way or God's going to send you to nations. See, I'm all down a whole other path here. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, that's us, 
You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. He's talking about the devil. And the devil does exist, my friends. There is a hell. It is not sweet. It is not nice. There is no party. There is no end to it. There is no escape from it. There is no purgatory or way to work your way out. There are none of those things. And I know that is a harsh reality. It's meant to be. Jesus came so that no one would have to endure hell. Many people ask often, how could a loving God send people to hell? Well, a loving God gave everything so that no one would have to go. It is our choice where we end up. We were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live. Verse 3, he says, all of us. Now, how many does that include? All of us. Just making sure. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. This body, this body wants, and it will not stop wanting until it's in the grave. It will want, it will desire, it will pursue, it will be unsatisfied. And if you spend your life trying to satisfy it, you will spend a life that never is fulfilled. I know. Believe me. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, like everybody else, we were by nature objects of wrath. Two things in that. We are no different than those who do not know God except for Jesus Christ. We need to be careful that we don't become self-righteous. It is by His grace we are saved and it remains that way. And it is by His grace we go and tell them about Jesus Christ. It is by His grace that they yell at us, they don't want to talk to us, they spit at us, and we pray, and we reach out, and we pray, and we reach out, and we pray, and we reach out, and they hate us, and we pray, and we reach out, they don't want to hear us, and we pray, and we reach out, and we invite them, they tell us no, and we pray, and we reach out, and we give, and we go, and we serve, and we wash their cars, and we carry their groceries, and we look after their kids, and we give money to help them through their circumstances, and they still don't want to come, and yet we still pray, and we still minister, and we still love them. Amen? Because we are no better apart from Jesus Christ. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And what does that mean? Well, God, if God is good, and He is. I don't just mean good like He's a nice guy. I mean God is goodness. He is righteousness. He is holiness. He is absolutely, positively sin-free. He has no winking out or liking or shifting and changing His ways. Well, it's, it's now 2012. Surely God likes this stuff He didn't used to like. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He still says, as He did in the book of Malachi, I hate divorce. He doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce because it kills and it destroys and it rips people apart and it destroys the fabric of a society which is happening in our nation today. But we still serve the same God who hated it then, who hates it now, because He knows of the ramifications of it. We have a God that is steadfast and is sure and is founded. And that God being righteous as He is cannot sit by and act like sin didn't happen. And that when we die, we go before Him and He says, well, you didn't do too bad. There has to be a judgment on the things that are opposed to God. And as we walk in anything other than the right standing He has given us through Jesus, we walk in opposition to God. Therefore, we become objects of wrath. 
That makes sense. That was a very brief explanation. God has to judge that which is ungod. He has to, as a righteous one, he must judge unrighteousness. Because if he doesn't, he's not just. If we see a man go into court and he clearly did a horrific act and a judge says, I'll let you go this time. We would riot. We would be insanely uh, angry that he did that. We would say, that's not a right judge. And yet we expect God to do that so often. But see, God to be righteous must judge unrighteousness. And therefore, if we walk apart from Jesus Christ in our own unrighteousness, no matter how hard we try, God must judge us. Therefore, we must be objects of His wrath. But, this is a big but, and I love this but. Number four, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Friends, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. He reminds us again through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Don't invite people to church and tell them to dress a certain way and to act a certain way and to speak a certain way and to go home and expect the person who's used to drinking beer nightly to empty their fridge because you've invited them to church. Don't expect the girl who wears too short of a skirt and too low of a top the first day to church to come in and dress appropriately. Don't expect people who, you know, as they would say, have truck driver language to just stop because you invited them to church. Let God work those things out, my friends, because they may look just the way you want them to. But that is not the power of the gospel. The gospel changes them from the inside out and they have the desire for those things to change. We have to be careful because we can make this gospel about works and not realize it. God wants the building that we label the church to be filled with drunks and prostitutes and the stinkiest, nastiest people in your mind that they may ever be. Because that's who Jesus went to. They're the ones that need to know. And quite often, they're the only ones who are open to it because they realize their situation. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. And that could also be translated God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me give you these points and I'll be done. It's impossible to follow me on points otherwise, so. What we were, four things. We were dead dead in our sin. Number two, we were in bondage to that sin. Friends, you may think you have control over the choices you make. But trust me, sin puts you in bondage. Oh, I can handle that. No, you can't. How do I know? I know all too well. You can try. You can work really hard. You can go through all sorts of rehab and those things. But when you are in bondage to sin, apart from Jesus setting you free, you remain in bondage to it. What we, are, what we were, number three, is disobedient to God. We can try as hard as we want to obey God's Ten Commandments. And even if you don't fail outwardly, you fail in here. 
Jesus wonderfully pointed that out to us. If you look at a woman lustfully, you have sinned in your heart. We can't escape the fact that apart from Christ, we are disobedient. And the fourth in that of what we were is we were objects of wrath. Now God finding us in that state has given us incredible things. Number one, He's given us His love. Number two is He's given us His mercy. And mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. Mercy is when we deserve to be condemned for what we've done, and yet He withholds. Think about that. God, by His incredible grace and mercy, has held back what we deserved to give us grace, which is what we didn't deserve. Number three, He's given us new life. You see, those who are in Christ are a new creation. All the old stuff has passed away. It's all gone. Who I used to be was someone else. I was born again. I got a new start in Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're on your deathbed. I had the privilege of leading a man who was dying of lung cancer. And he died, I think, about, I think it was six days after I sat with him at his deathbed. He was the orneriest, cussing, smoking, angriest man I had ever met. And I worked with him for a time and I left uh, the job I was at at the time to, to be a part of a church. And he tracked me down to find me. He said, I'm on my deathbed and I just want you to come. What he wanted me to come for was he and his wife had tried to get married 53 years earlier in the Catholic Church. But because he wouldn't do the things they told him to do, they kicked him out. So he said, well, screw the church. Never went back. But it never left his heart. He asked me to come and to marry he and his wife on his deathbed. He was on his oxygen tanks and she had one she was walking around with. And God gave me the privilege of sharing with him the gospel. And that picture on the cross when the thief was next to Jesus and leaned over and, and, and said, just remember me. And basically upon that cross, the place he couldn't get down from and do anything from, Jesus saved him. And it helped this man who was dying understand it's not about you getting out of the bed and now doing something. It's about what Jesus has done and your acceptance of it. He had six days of a new life. And at his funeral, I got to share that and watch his family rejoice. That this ornery New Yorker, cussing, nasty guy was saved. New life. Number four, he gives us eternal life. Be careful when you use the word saved around people who don't go to church. Because the question is going to be, well, what am I being saved from? We are saved from an eternity in hell apart from God. We are saved from continuing this life in a purposeless, unsatisfied way of going round and round and round. He has given us His grace. Again, mercy was not giving us what we do deserve, but grace is giving us what we don't deserve. He set us free from sin. It doesn't mean they all go away right away, but it means He brings us into a place of freedom where in His grace we can walk out that freedom. You can come to Christ and He saves you and you're an alcoholic. When He, he saves you, you're set free. It's up to you by His grace and power to walk in that freedom to a place of not being an alcoholic anymore. Gosh, I'm explaining way too many things, too much. Number seven. He gives us a new status. We're seated with Christ, sons and daughters of God. Number eight is He sets us free from religion. The tagline of our church is reality, not religion. 
And I can't tell you how many religious people that upsets and how much I delight in that fact. I love it when people come and say, how can you have, how can you have Jesus without religion? I'm glad you asked that question. Because religion is the very thing he fought the most. Religion is about what we can do. Jesus Christ, God himself, is what our faith is about. He sets us free from the pursuit of trying so hard. Number nine, he gives us a hope and a calling. Last thing here. First was what we were. Second is what we've been given. And the third is what we now are in Christ. We are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Some of you, I believe prophetically in here, are still holding on to things you struggle to forgive yourself for. Jesus has forgiven you. The Scriptures teach us He casts the sin as far as the east is from the west. Well, they never meet. So you're the only one holding on to it. You keep reminding God. Stop. You've been forgiven. You didn't earn it. No, I know that. Jesus paid the price for it. But we've been forgiven. We are saved. Saved now with the guarantee of eternity that awaits us. We don't need to fear death. We don't need to worry about what tomorrow holds. If God calls us home tomorrow, awesome. My grief is for those we leave behind who don't know Jesus. We are new. You're not the same person you used to be. Stop looking in the mirror and seeing yourself the same way. Ask God to give you His eyes to see yourself the way He sees you. We are sons and daughters, number four. We talked about that. Number five is we are now objects of His love, His grace, and His mercy, not His wrath. Number six is we are called. We are called by God. God created us for a purpose. It's not that we now become purpose-driven, but we do live a life of purpose for Him. That we understand I'm on this earth not to just breathe oxygen and slide into heaven. God created me to change the world. There is no person in Christ whose head should hang low, ever. The enemy will lie to us, try and rob us, bring condemnation. People around us will pull their support and say everything possible. But my friends, it does not change the fact that God knit you together in your mother's womb. That before you were born, He knew you. He knit you together with purpose and intent. He made you and put you together. And He didn't do it just so you'd look a certain way. He did it so that everything about you would fulfill the purpose for which He created you and breathe life into you. The fulfillment of this Gospel is not I said a prayer and now I go to church. That's where you begin. You begin when you give your life and then you live it in the purpose and calling He created you for by the power of His Spirit. And number seven, we are We are hope for all the world to see. We live in a world that is hopeless, and rightly so. And our nation kept its hope in people, in politics, in money, and in a capitalistic society. And I love this nation. And I pray for this nation every single day. But my friends, our hope cannot be in our vote. Our hope cannot be in what the economy can or cannot do. Our hope cannot be in our Olympians, as proud of them as we are. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and this Gospel. And friends, we are those He has chosen to be His ambassadors to the world. 
It's not your message you go with. It's His. It's not your authority you walk in. It's His authority. And my friends, the people around here need hope. And true hope is found in Jesus Christ. And as you go this week with your door to door, go knowing you carry the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go carrying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the restoration of those who've been separated from God to be restored to Him. The bringing home of the sons and the daughters. The old church people used to call each other brother and sister, probably because they forgot their names. But basically, you're going out and bringing home brothers and sisters who just haven't come home yet by telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged in your faith. Don't let it just be preached here, but man, let it be preached here. Let it be shared out there. Let it be the message we carry everywhere we go. Some of you will not stay here forever. That's good news. I don't mean go to heaven. That'll happen too. But some of you God will call to go and be a part of ministry elsewhere. Carry this gospel. You don't need anything else. And hear me in that. Obviously, there's much that can help. But the gospel, the gospel, the raw, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ is what is needed most. Amen?